From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. A court says Second Amendment rights apply to 18-year-olds. A major university study shows that more guns do not equal more crime. A woman is forced to shoot a home invader in her kitchen who is performing sex acts. These are some of the stories Buckeye Firearms Association has reported on recently, and that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined once again by Rob Sexton, our Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, glad to be with you, Dean. So uh, I guess you've been on vacation for a week or so, hit the beach, got in some well-deserved R&R, so welcome back from that too. Yeah, you know, uh, it's something I've been privileged to do with my whole family. The, there's, I think there were 15 of us on this year's trip, and it was very relaxing. Of course, like everybody else, you get back from vacation, you got a big stack of work to dig out from. So this has been, you know, a week of catching up for me. Well, beach vacations are not something that uh, that I do. I got I got to say that just sounds horrible. I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you had a good time. But I'm not really a beach guy. I got to say that my wife right now is at the beach with her family doing exactly the same thing. And all they do essentially is they'll lay on the beach for half the day and then they eat for the rest of the day. And that's all they do. And they'll do that for, geez, I'm not even sure how long she's going to be away, a week, two weeks. So that would just drive me bat crap crazy. And... (laughs) Our joke is that when she goes to the beach, that's my vacation. So, you know, just to get her out of the house, we both work at home, and it just gives us a chance to, you know, have a little uh, away time, which I think is important. That That is just not my kind of vacation. <laughs> well, it's a great time for us. I wish I was still down there, but you know what? You got to make a living. So well, back to the fight. Yeah, there's there's uh, been a lot uh, going on. And I thought what we'd do in this podcast is just take a look at some of the stories we've been publishing on BuckeyeFirearms.org. Uh, all yes. of these all of these are stories that you can read on our website. And I think probably the most important story, certainly the most interesting, is something we reported on a few days ago with a ruling from the Fourth Circuit. And, I, and let me just read this to you. This is really pretty awe-inspiring here. On Tuesday, July 13th, 2021, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit ruled that 18, 19, and 20-year-olds share Second Amendment rights with every other U.S. adult and should have the ability to legally purchase handguns. The case is called Hirschfeld versus Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. And the case involved two teenagers, Tanner Hirschfeld, who the case is named after, and Natalia Marshall. Both wanted to buy handguns for self-defense, 
but they were prevented because federal law says they're underage. Now, Hirschfeld has since turned 21, so his case is moot. He's no longer involved. But Marshall is 19, and she is still unable to purchase a handgun. So what happened was a lawsuit was filed against the ATF because they couldn't purchase handguns. And the district court basically sided with the ATF, and they dismissed the case. The plaintiff appealed it, and a three-judge panel on the Fourth Circuit issued this ruling, and it was a pretty stern ruling where it basically, they, the question they were asking was, when do constitutional rights begin? Right. And the, and the Fourth Circuit's conclusion was, well, they begin at the age of 18 because that's where all other rights begin. So why wouldn't Second Amendment rights begin at the same time? Rob, this is, I mean, this has huge implications for gun rights all over the country. Absolutely. And you know what? Here's the first thing that came to mind when you started reading that story. Does my freedom of speech start at age 18 or do I have to wait till I'm 21 before I can, you know, be free of government clampdown if I say the wrong thing, right? So why is that? Why are my Second Amendment rights deferred? That's really the real question, isn't it? Well, and then there's another way of looking at this too. Uh, 18 years old in this country, we're happy for you to join the military and we will put in your hands the most sophisticated weapons manufactured, send you all over the world, and you can use those weapons. You come back, and you just want a handgun to defend yourself. I mean, you you can defend us, the nation, but you can't defend yourself at the age of 18. All of a sudden, you come back. You're 18, 19, 20 years old, and now we don't trust you anymore. That's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's, it's, it is, and, and it's insulting. Because, and the whole point of, of these laws is that there are a certain very, very small group of people that age who commit violent crimes. Well, okay, but the court specifically talked about that and said, look, that's just not a good enough reason to take away everybody else's rights because most 18, 19, and 20-year-olds are not out there, you know, joining gangs and dealing drugs and, and murdering people that's only a really small portion, right? So uh, that that you just can't do that. You can't take away rights because a few people abuse those rights. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think a lot of people get a little confused, right? Because I've heard some commentary like, hey, you know, you got to be 21 to buy alcohol. You know, you have to be 21 to buy cigarettes. And they, I, I'm not aware of the alcohol and cigarettes amendment to the Bill of Rights. But I am aware of the Second Amendment to the Bill of Rights, and I don't understand the mindset that says, I'll send you to war to die in a foreign country, but if you want a, a firearm to protect yourself here in the United States, you're not worthy yet. You're not smart enough yet, not competent enough yet, not mature enough yet. It's ridiculous. I, uh, I was looking at the U.S. Fourth District uh, Court, or the Fourth Court District, and that encompasses Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So that's a that's a good district for this to come out of, right? You know, so some of the court districts are very conservative, and some of them, like the Ninth Circuit, of course, is out in La La Land. But this is a fairly balanced court. So to get a decision like that, I think that's a great sign. And obviously, this thing is going all the way to the Supreme Court. And Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett will get a chance to live up to all of our high hopes. Well, a lot of experts are saying 
first of all, this remember, this was a three-judge panel. This was not the full court. So probably right. because this is going to be controversial, it's going to get a lot of pushback. So probably the full court will review this. And who knows? Who knows what they're going to find? Yeah, I, I um, one thing we learned here recently just in Ohio, didn't we? You know, you, the court's a wild card. You just don't know what judges are going to do. But I have to believe that no matter how the full uh, appellate court rules, that there will be an appeal by one side or the other that takes this to the Supreme Court. So the real question is going to be, will the court take the case? And I man, I can't imagine another case that is more tailor-made uh, tailor for Supreme Court review than the idea that my constitutional rights don't apply until I'm 21 years of age. I think it's a fundamental. Well, we'll watch that story, see how it turns out. Let's uh, let's turn our attention to another story here that we ran, and this was a study. And I found this really interesting, Rob. You know, we've been telling people that just because somebody has a gun doesn't mean that they're going to go commit crime. But, you know, usually people on the left, the media, researchers, they've got this idea that more guns equals more crime. Well, the story on our website's called New Study Shows More Guns Do Not Equal More Crime. And... Axios, which is a news organization out there, is reporting on a study from researchers at the Violence Prevention Research Program at the University of California. Right. And yeah, I know it's just kind of like your radar goes on right away, thinking, "Uh oh, what you know? What are they coming out with?" And I, you know, they went into this thinking that they were going to see a link between the spike in homicides last year, 2020 with the spike in gun purchases, because I guess their reasoning was, well, a lot of people are buying guns for, and many for the first time, millions of new gun owners, and we're seeing a spike in homicides, so maybe those are linked, let's take a look. And and their conclusion was, nope, there's no connection. Now, this was not some little, you know, survey or a poll or whatever. The researchers conducted what's called a cross-sectional study of the 48 contiguous states and the District of Columbia, so except for Alaska and Hawaii, basically the whole country. And they looked at January 2018 through July 2020. And, you know, honestly, Rob, they just should have called us. I, I would have been happy to take the call, and I could have <laughs> saved them the time and the expense of all that research. There's never been a connection between the number of guns owned by the population and the crime rate. And if you read the report... There's a link to the report so you could read it on, on our website. And they, they seemed a little surprised. But but I'm not surprised because, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the, the secret to this. It's, it's not rocket science. People don't murder other people because they have a gun. Murders occur because people who are criminal or crazy seek to rob somebody or they're out to exact vengeance or they're acting out of jealousy or hatred. Normal, well-adjusted people don't do that, Rob. You, right. you know, if you take my parking spot, I don't shoot you in the head because of it, because I'm I'm not I'm not a whack job, right? And so, you know, more guns just do not equal more crime. And here we have a major major study that shows that. You know what's really amazing to me is there was almost a complete news blackout on the findings of that story. Don't you just find that remarkable? I mean, here we have one of the most reputable colleges in the entire country, University of California, all those branches all across the country. 
and they produced this major study. And it's almost like news blackout. And why is that? Because the narrative in the media is the exact opposite of what this study showed. You know, and, and they they would, I, I guarantee you, if that study had said more guns equals more crime, then you know it would have been plastered all across every major news source in the entire country. But now this one, and they can't put this one on John Lott or some guy who agrees with us. You know, this one's all about a college system that most people would assume would have a bias. I salute them for producing a study with obviously uh, that went against the grain of what probably prevailing thought in academia is. And you see these kind of studies all the time. They, you're right. They just don't get published. And, and there's a phrase for that. It's called cognitive dissonance, which means that when you encounter information that disagrees with what you believe it just kind of causes your brain to have a little spasm and, and you can't believe it and you tend to ignore it. And, and the media, most of the major media at least, tends to be housed in large metropolitan areas that are very blue, they lean left, and they just don't understand guns. And you, and you never see pro-gun stuff in newspapers anywhere, uh, even, even in local papers, the little paper that, uh, that I have in my quiet little suburb you'll see all kinds about uh, kinds of stuff about the local soccer team the local baseball team uh you know knitting clubs and everything else a yoga you name it but there's nothing about guns of any kind even sport shooting or anything well and i think you know you lay a study like this in front of a reporter from the washington post or the new york times they're going to say well you can make statistics say anything and yet if the statistics had gone the other way i promise you this would have been the lead story on the morning joe you didn't hear a peep about it because it told us what we already know. And that's that criminals commit crimes. You know, the fact that law-abiding people are buying more firearms has no connection to what criminals do. But, you know, preaching to the choir, I suppose, with you and me telling, you know, our listeners that, hey, guess what, folks? More, you know, more people buy guns. It doesn't equal, you know, some criminal explosion. Well, I mean, this is wrong on its face, this idea that more guns equal more crime or that guns cause crime or violent crime. You know, guns have not been around forever with most of human history. There were no guns. And so it's not like, I mean, I've read a little bit of history and I don't remember reading the chapter that said everything has been very peaceful in the world until guns were created. And then all of a sudden there were murders. There have been bad people doing bad things forever throughout recorded history. When guns came along, that that didn't necessarily change that. So, uh, you know, Taking away guns does not cause crime to just go away. So there, there's just there's no there's no connection. No study has ever shown that. And um, like I said, I, I could have saved them a lot of time. If if anybody from uh, that university is listening, feel free to call. Um, I'll, <laughs> That's right. I can uh, I can save you a lot of money, and and you can take that money, and you can go on a beach vacation with Rob uh, next time next time he goes. Rob, let's uh, let's move on. There's there's another interesting, interesting slash frustrating slash predictable story. This one is about an astroturf group, and and listeners probably remember us reporting on this. There was a push for universal background checks in Ohio, and of course the legislature is not going for that. We've been fighting it, and in 2017 a group was formed. And they called themselves Ohioans for gun safety, which was a complete lie because there's nothing about gun safety. You go to their website 
and there was not one word about safe gun handling or anything like that. Their whole point was to get on the ballot in Ohio a universal background check law. A lot of people don't know, and Rob, maybe you can explain this. One of the ways to pass a law in Ohio is you go through the legislature. You, you write up a bill, it goes through the House, goes through the Senate, gets signed by the governor, becomes law. Another way you can do it is to get it on the ballot. People yes. vote. And if it meets all the right requirements and is done in the right way, that can become a law, right? That's right. That's right. It's called an initiative petition. And you can initiate a change in law or you can initiate a change in the Constitution uh, if you gather enough signatures. And, and I think the real fear of that whole system for gun owners is that, you know, a guy comes along like Bloomberg and he's willing to finance issues like this. These guys use paid signature gatherers, put people out on the street to circulate petitions, and they can put a law in front of people. And then we're, we're basically faced with a, a ballot issue about guns. And it gets down to whoever can spend the most money can actually define the terms, right? So it's a really unfortunate, vulnerable part of Ohio's system that people can do this. So it's it's wonderful that these guys ultimately failed to put it on the ballot and even more gratifying what happened to them since then. Well, they were collecting ballots and there are two different uh, processes they have to go through you know, in collecting, I'm sorry, collecting signatures. And they had collected enough signatures to qualify and then they have to go back a second time, right? And they have to collect right. a certain number of signatures in a certain amount of time. So they had gotten through that first process. They had some language. They had, I think, to revise the language, if I remember correctly. And then they were then they were wanting to get all the signatures to actually get it on the ballot. And then that's where things broke down. And right. Were, so and you it, have to the way, the way the law works in Ohio. You gather your first batch of signatures, roughly half uh, what you were talking about, and then that sends the issue to the legislature. And the legislature can either pass what you've asked for, pass something competing, or reject it or do nothing, which is, of course, what our legislature did. And if that happens, then the petitioners have to go back and co collect in the, uh, a second half of the same number of signatures in order to put it before the voters. And, and that's, as you say, that's where they broke down. They failed to be able to do that. But this idea of a group, and again, they called themselves Ohioans for gun safety, very deceptive. This is not the first time that we've seen a group like this in Ohio. This is a pretty common tactic where they can't really win the argument by being honest about who they are and what they want to do. And so they lie about it. You know, they put on an act back uh, about 20 years ago, if you remember, there was a billionaire, his name was Andrew McKelvey, and he's the guy who started Monster.com. He donated about $12 million to create a group called Americans for Gun Safety. Well, they right. weren't for gun safety, it was just a gun control group. The, the Joyce Foundation started a group called Freedom States Alliance, which was not about freedom at all. It was a, uh, a network of, of gun control groups state-level gun control groups, and they had a, a blog called Gun Guys. Now, this this was hilarious because this Gun Guys blog, they pretended to actually be gun owners. They would review guns. They would talk about guns, you know, and they would, they would pose themselves as if they were actually one of us, but then they would also push gun control, you know, saying, well, you know, it's reasonable to, to do this or that, and, and you can trust us because we're real gun guys. Well, no, they weren't. Right. There was a it was a complete phony 
AstroTurf group, Complete Lie. Rob, you're probably familiar with a group that was called the Hunters and Shooters Association. Right. And they folded shop back in 2010. And that sounds really official, right? American Hunters and Shooters Association. Well, they were just totally anti-hunting, anti-gun, and they were created essentially to fool people into thinking that Barack Obama, who was running for the presidency at that time, was not a threat to gun rights. Right, right. The whole purpose of that group was to claim that, hey, you know, they were the reasonable pro-gun gun guys. They were the reasonable pro-hunting hunting guys. And the fact is they weren't pro-gun or pro-hunting. They were pro-left wing, pro-gun control, pro, you know, uh, they were nothing that really existed anywhere except on paper. And uh, obviously, you know, it didn't, it didn't go well for them in the end, but that kind of stuff gets really scary when you think about it, because you can really fool people uh, who may not be following this stuff as closely as BFA does. And then it and it keeps going on. And I'm sure that we're going to see others do the same thing. And, and it just, you know, look, if gun control is a good idea, why do they have to lie and deceive people about it? Uh, you can say a lot of negative things about our side. I, I realize we don't always make the best case. We can be a little too aggressive, a little too in your face sometimes, but at least we're not going to lie about who we are. We're going to say, here's who we are, here's what we believe, and what you see is what you get. That's right. Um, we're honest about what we believe, but on the other side, they they can't get the support of the general population, so they just have to lie about it. Well, it, well, it's still going on today, right? Every town for gun safety, right? And that's Bloomberg's front group. You know, the that uh, they appear at the hearings, they come off like we're just a bunch of concerned suburban moms, the whole nine yards. But where's the money coming from? You know, it comes from the Bloomberg New York City gun control machine. Well, Rob, I'll tell you what my nightmare scenario is with that, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. Bloomberg's getting kind of old. He is a big-time billionaire. I don't mean like two or three billion dollars. He's like worth forty billion, fifty billion dollars. When he passes away, what do you think is going to be in his will? Oh Lord! I mean, every town is probably licking their chops right now. They could literally get, you know, ten billion dollars. Can you imagine what's going to happen? All you can hope. All you can hope is that he's got a family full of cutthroats that are going to want to spend the next 15 years fighting over the scraps that are left. And so, you know, instead of that money going to his gun control group, you know, there'll be his sons and daughters and cousins and everybody else who are fighting over him, like you see often with uh, trust fund families. So that's my best hope for that, because what you just laid out is a really scary scenario. And I kind of hate to say this. I mean, I don't wish anybody poor health or anything like that. But, you know, with that scenario, with Bloomberg, I, I kind of wish him good health because he might be more dangerous dead than alive. <laughs> You're right. That's right. So let's move on to, uh, we'll do one more story here. And uh, this story, Rob, we need to be a little careful how we talk about this because this <laughs> is going to bring a bad image to everybody's mind here. I'll just read you the headline and you'll see what I mean. A woman forced to shoot man caught performing sex acts in her kitchen. Oh, boy. So I'm not going to, and you know, usually we criticize the media for not being specific. But thank God the media was not specific here. They did not tell us exactly what the guy was doing. I think we can probably visualize something bad enough. 
I guess what happened is um, this was uh, WTOL, CBS in Toledo, who is reporting this. A woman was forced to use her firearm to defend herself when she discovered a home invader performing sex acts in her kitchen. Oh, boy. Toledo police say a woman shot a man who walked into her home and was conducting inappropriate acts in her kitchen around 3 a.m. on Monday. Police say 38-year-old Joshua Hall, a homeless man, walked into the home of 34-year-old Dominique Black in the 2300 block of North Erie Street. Police say Hall was in a state of undress and was conducting, quote-unquote, sex acts in the kitchen. And so I guess uh, what happened is she was able to coax him to to leave the house, was trying to, you know, just get rid of him, but he made some sort of aggressive move. She felt threatened, and so she had to shoot him. Doesn't say what, you know, what condition he's in. I, I assume he's in a hospital someplace recovering. But, um, you know, what she did was apparently perfectly legal, and Rob, I, I can tell you if if I walked into my kitchen and saw something like that, I can tell you what my target would be specifically to resolve that situation and every future situation with that particular guy. I mean, can you imagine? No, I can't imagine. Uh, how about this? Imagine how it must feel for a woman, right? So you've got a man in there, obviously, typically physically stronger, and uh, you, know, you walk in your kitchen and find that. And uh, it sounds like she did everything she could to try to coax him to leave. But when it's all said and done, you know, she, she's got a right to defend herself. And this is a prime example of the reason we need a castle doctrine in the state of Ohio. I'm so glad we have it. Obviously, this person mentally unstable, and I, I hate to hear that. I think it's a great tragedy. But we can't overlook the, the fact that, you know, you've got a vulnerable person in their own home. And uh, they've got every right to defend themselves, and uh, it's unfortunate. But I think I'm I'm just very thankful that she came out of it okay. And if this guy did live, I hope he's able to get treatment and move on from it from there. But the law certainly worked the way that uh, it was intended in this case. Now, the, the reason that I wanted to include this story was not just to have, you know, a titillating headline here. But uh, I guess I see a story like this, and I have to scratch my head because I know how I react to it. I reacted with a certain level of relief, kind of like what you did. Gee, I'm, I'm glad this poor lady was armed. I'm glad she was able to defend herself. I'm, I'm glad right. it turned out okay, for, you know, for her. Uh, I'm even glad if the guy did not die. I'm, I'm glad of that too, because you're right. He's, there's something wrong. I, I hope he gets some treatment. But, but at the same time, I realize that other people are looking at this story and the reaction is going to be, well, that's terrible. Why did you shoot that guy? Obviously, he needed help. He didn't need to be shot. You know, we th- this is why we shouldn't have guns because people go around shooting people who, you know, are, you know, have mental problems or, or whatever. And it just kind of begs the question, what's the disconnect? I, I don't really understand how different people will look at a story like this and see it in such different ways. I'm relieved for the woman and somebody else is distressed because of the man. Yeah. I mean, Rob, can you figure this out? I, I, I just, I'm confused. No, no, I, I can't figure out the mind of 
so many people that feel that way. My first, my first thought was, I'm glad she was able to defend herself. I was glad that she came through it without being assaulted herself. Uh, like you say, I'm, I'm certainly uh, hopeful for the person who was shot that they come through the entire thing. But I, I would challenge anyone who feels like this was unjustified. If it were your daughter or your mother or your spouse, and they confronted this very same scenario, and they felt physically threatened, would you want them to be able to defend themselves? I think if you take people outside of their social media, you know, social justice bubble, you know, they're going to they're gonna universally agree, even if they won't admit it, that what she was able to do is exactly what you would want for any of your loved ones put in that same position. Rob, I once talked to uh, a woman, and I didn't have a debate with her, but we were talking about this very issue and I posed it to her, you know, what happened, what would happen if someone broke into your home and, I, and she had a couple of children, what happened if someone broke into your home and grabbed one of your young children, had a knife to his throat and was about to murder your child, wouldn't you want to have a gun so that you could stop that, so that you could save your child? And she was very distressed at the question. And I had to press a little bit, and eventually she told me, no, that she didn't believe it was her right to take anybody's life or to hurt anybody else. And I just kind of stared at her. I, I didn't want to have a debate. I mean, this was she, was she was very emotional about it. But here was a woman who apparently loved her kids, but she would not protect her children even if she could, if, if she could have a gun in her hand and take a good shot, kill the guy, save her kid, she wouldn't do it. I just, I can't even connect with that. What's the fundamental job of a parent is to protect their kids. There's just no better, no bigger obligation you have as a parent. So if you don't feel compelled to defend your kid in a situation like that, then I just don't understand. You know, I've, of course, you know this, Dean, I've got four kids. They're all grown now. And, uh, I mean, I think you know me, you know where my mind would have gone to confront a situation like that. Maybe I don't shoot because I'm a man and I'm confronting a man. But for a woman, I, I don't think there's any question. You, your heart has to go out to the victim. And the victim in this case is the person whose home was invaded and violated by someone else. Yeah. And, and again, I, I feel sorry for the guy. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a heartless guy. Obviously, you know, this guy was born... The same as all of us, he he was he was born into a world innocent, and you know had the same start as anybody else. But horrible things must have happened to this guy to lead him to the point where he was in someone's home doing these unspeakable things, forcing somebody else to shoot him. That's just terrible. Yeah. But if it were my home, there wouldn't have even been a discussion. You know that guy would be leaving in a rubber bag. Yes. Uh, because I don't know what's going to happen. No. You know, my, my wife's in the house. I have to protect her. You know, your, your home is your castle. And once someone is in your home without your permission, you don't know what they're going to do. I saw a news story once, Rob, of a guy who was burglarizing. It was one of these drive-through liquor places. Yes. And he, he, he walked in there. It was late at night. He stole a bunch of money walked out the door, a second later, he popped back in and just started shooting at the people. He had already left, and he decided, uh, well, I'm going to go back and shoot him. 
for no reason whatsoever. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's that doubt in a situation like that that's really the danger. Right. So, you, uh, you, you, don't even, you don't know if the guy could have been armed. You know, the guy could have been armed and she she had no idea whether he was armed or not. I mean, what are the facts? He's in her house. He's a threat to her. And basically, he's in the beginning stage of what could could wind up being a sexual assault. I, I don't know what other decision anyone would have her make. It, uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and people will say, well, there was mental mental health issues involved. Well, of course there were. Yeah. You know, if you, if you break into somebody's house, there's some kind of mental health issue. Yes. Because, because well-adjusted people do not commit violent acts. They do not uh, break into homes. They don't do things like this in somebody's kitchen. It, it's obviously there's a mental issue. That's beside the point. Do we need to take care of people like that? Yes. But in the meantime, you need to be able to defend yourself. It's sad, but that's the reality. That's right. And, you know, you see news stories all the time. It just kills me. You know, you see a news story where, you know, a person got shot breaking and entering. And then invariably, they'll put a picture of him up when he was nine years old in the Cub Scouts. And, you know, and his mother will be on there singing. He was a good boy. They didn't have to shoot him. All he was trying to do was take their stuff. And the fact is, when, when somebody's in your house and they don't belong there, you have no idea what they're there for. And you've got kids you're trying to protect a wife you're trying to protect. Are you really supposed to give the benefit of the doubt to someone who is in your house to begin with and they don't belong? Uh, I, I'm with you. We, we should have better treatment for mentally ill people in Ohio and across the country, especially our veterans who come home after seeing horrible things. But when somebody's in your house, all bets are off. And, and frankly, you know, uh, thankfully, Ohio law recognizes that right for you as a homeowner as it should. Yeah, and just for our listeners, uh, we do have Castle Doctrine, and and Buckeye Firearms Association helped bring that to Ohio, and we now have the No Duty to Retreat, also a uh, BFA victory, and just be aware that if someone unlawfully enters or attempts to enter an occupied home or a temporary habitation, and we're talking about something like a hotel room, an occupied car, whatever— you do have an initial presumption that you can act in self-defense and you'll not be second guessed by the state. That doesn't mean that police are not going to show up and investigate. It just means that they're not, police are not going to immediately assume that you're guilty. So what this woman did, according to this story appears to be perfectly legal and you can defend yourself. And, and, And Rob, you're right. Thank God that we have that in Ohio and we've been strengthening, strengthening that law. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to draw the line when you're talking about someone entering your business or, or you know what you're seeing a lot of these days, the carjackings are up, right? And so the no duty to retreat law that was enacted last year will cover that situation. You're seeing carjackings that are up and you're, you're supposed to just assume when someone yanks your car door open that they don't mean you harm, they just want your car. Well, by the, by the time you discover that, oh yeah, they did mean me harm, you're pretty much already harmed. Right. So the law makes sense, allow you the chance to defend yourself when someone invades your space. So I, I, um, I realized that, uh, you know, for those on the other side, they, they, they'd rather a police report come along and draw a chalk line around your dead body after the carjacker shoots you first. But I'm, I'm thankful that the law uh, reads like it does. I'm thankful for the work BFA did to get it done. 
And uh, I'm sad for this guy that got shot, but I don't know what other choice that the woman would have had. And I'm glad she came through it unharmed. Well, we're in complete agreement about that, Rob. Well, those are just some of the stories that we've been covering on BuckeyeFirearms.org. You can see a lot of other stories. We publish anywhere from five to ten stories a week on guns and gun rights and criminal cases like this and just all kinds of stuff. So uh, if you do not regularly go to the website, go or sign up for our free newsletter. So Rob, uh, well, welcome back from the beach. Time to get back to work when the, uh, the the legislature is on their summer recess right now, but that doesn't mean that we're not working. In fact, this is a great time to get stuff done, and that's exactly what we're going to do, and we'll, I'm sure, have you back in the near future to talk about that. So uh, thanks again for checking in with us here on the podcast, and we'll see you later. All right. Thanks, Dean. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.